Hey y'all, it's me Jade and I'm glad you're here. This week we've got Tampa comedian JJ Curry in the house. I found JJ when I was going to my favorite Thai restaurant in Tampa. Shout out to you, Siam Thai American Restaurant, where I picked up a copy of Creative Loafing's Best of the Bay. Now, I was planning out the season then, so I thought, God, this will be useful. I was sitting at my dining room table, peeling over the paper with a highlighter like I was Robert Redford and all the President's Men, when I saw him. J.J. Curry, best up-and-coming comedian. So I did some research, saw that he was funny, and thought this guy's got to be on the show, which is what happened. We talk about how he writes his jokes, how he goes about touring, how he warms up a cold crowd, and more. As always, transcripts can be found at wgcproductions.com. All right, I won't keep you long. It's time for the episode, but remember, before we go, this is a WGC production. From a small town called Dudley, Georgia, J.J. Curry is a Southern Air Force vet with a very optimistic view on life. J.J. has been getting his name across the southeast part of America with jokes about his upbringing and current events as an adult. He's proven that his words can be accepted and approved by any group of people. He's recently been accepted into the 2020 North Carolina Comedy Festival, so please take the time to get to know J.J. Curry. How you doing today, man? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. That was, that was the first time I heard. That's the first time I ever heard that being read out. I was like, man, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote good. <laughs> well, uh, well, I'm glad that you're satisfied. Glad you're satisfied with the writing and performance of it all. Oh, my English teacher would be so proud of me. <laughs> okay. So let's just start off with the same question I ask everybody. Where are you from and where are your roots? I'm originally from a small town called uh, Danville, Georgia. But my mom finally made some money and we moved out. And since then, we've been living in this place called Dudley, Georgia. Now now I live in Tampa, Florida. When did you move to Tampa? Four years ago. Okay. And what made you want to move to good old Tampa Bay? I was already living in the Panhandle or the Fort Walton Beach area. And my brother lived in Tampa. And I just wanted to spend more time with my nieces and nephews because I don't have kids of my own. So I want to be able to write jokes about family stuff. So like the best way to do that is just to be around my family. So I decided to come here and live with my brother for a little while. And could you tell us one of your jokes real quick about family stuff? Come on, share, share. Oh, I'll give you one. I like it. This is how I normally like to open up my shows. Hi, my name is JJ Curry. That's JJ from Good Times. Curry like the chicken. They make it easy for people to remember me. I like to give people information about me so that we feel comfortable with each other. I know you guys cannot tell. But I'm actually one eighth Caucasian, um, <laughs> and like, I know it's hard to tell, but it really am. Like my grandfather's miss, that's half. You break a half down, that's a quarter. You break a quarter down, that's an eighth. That's me. Now I don't know how mathematically correct that is, but my cousin used to sell weed, and um, <laughs> that's how he taught me fractions. So I'm really like three point five grams of Caucasian, and that used to be a misdemeanor. That used to be a misdemeanor. So <laughs> okay, um, well that that uh, you know, I guess I kind I'm kind of three point five grams Caucasian as well. See, <laughs> yeah, it's useful math. Who'd have thought? Um, so how exactly, how exactly did you know you wanted to be a comedian? I always been the funny person, and um, I spent I was in the military. I had some stuff that happened to me. And so when people would ask me the story about what happened, I would tell them what happened in my own personal way. And they would just be like, I don't know rather to be sad or to laugh at you. And eventually it just went to tell us more stories about how you came up. And it just slowly fed into like me 
being able to talk to people. And then I got to start doing like briefings for like military briefings. And then I got a job working at the nightclub, cracking jokes because they were like, yo, can you hold the line up? We got too many people in here. We got to hold the line up. We're like, cool. So I was cracking jokes with people outside. And next thing I know, a comedian saw me, handed me his card. And ever since then, I just started doing stand-up. Okay. So, of course, like the basis of comedy is the joke. I mean, if you don't have good jokes, really, what are you going to do? So could you kind of take us through your process of writing a joke? Like the joke you just told us about your cousin and being the <laughs> one eighth slash 3.5 grams Caucasian. How'd you write that? I was, at the time I was living in the panhandle and I was just noticing that there's a lot of uh, Caucasian people living in that area. And uh, sometimes when I got on stage, it just looked like I was normally probably the only black person there. So like, I was like, I need to figure out a way to break the tension. I'm like, well, my grandfather is mitts. So what can I do? And so I wrote the joke as, all right, my grandfather's missed. Now, simple math. I know I love numbers. So like eighth quarter, eighth. And I was like, well, that's also drug terms. <laughs> so I was like, if I can combine all these words together, you understand the kind of person I am. You'll know that like I understand my family history. I'm also very educated because I know, you know, so I love numbers. I love math. But it's also like you can see that I would grew up in bad neighborhoods. So that's the only way I would even know that this is broke down. But it all makes sense if you sit there and you're like, not everybody in these bad neighborhoods are bad people. Okay. And is that typically how your joke process goes? Like you look out, you observe something, and then you reference your own family history and your own personal history? All my favorite jokes are like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, just, <laughs> I call myself dumb smart. So it's like I would say something very smart, but it would also make you be like that was kind of dumb way that he put that together. So it's a little bit of everybody. Hmm. And the basis of comedy is the joke, but when you take a bunch of those jokes out, you make a set. So, like, how did you go about making a comedy set? Whether it be ten minutes, fifteen, thirty, an hour. Like, what's your process for that? I actually like to paint a picture in my head mentally. Cause I can't, I'm, for some reason I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm dyslexic. So like, it's hard for me to like to see words on paper. Um, but mm -hmm. in my head, I paint a picture of the story that I want to tell. So like the, everything I say is matter at some point in time, like this, I'm saying this because of this. So I like to give people a visual, uh, I give people on a visual trip when they, when they listen to me tell jokes. That makes sense. That makes sense to me. But then, then the question becomes, right? Like when you when you write a joke for the first time, and I'm a writer, so uh, a writer not of jokes, but like plays and dialogues and shows and things like that. So when you write something for the first time, it can be like it can be good, and you can find a thing you like in there, but you have to refine it and edit it until it's tight. Oh, so, yeah. how do you tighten a joke? I <laughs> I do a lot of audio. So like um if I'm like a bunch of open mics, I go to a lot of open mics. So I'll always figure out there's certain lines that I want to say in the joke. But I also give myself the freeway to us to get to those lines. And I pay attention to all my audio that which way was the easy way for to get that line and which way was the way that got more left to that line. And you know, sometimes things just don't work out. Sometimes jokes just not aren't joking. <laughs> sometimes jokes just aren't working out the way you want them to. So how do you know when to take a joke out of rotation? Oh, uh, I'm I'm always taking jokes in and out of rotation. I always, uh, older comedian told me that I tell other younger comedians, don't throw a joke away. 
just wait for a little while because you you may not have the ideal that you truly want to say right now. So like there'll be jokes where I have a joke about my name being Jaquavius. I wrote within the first year of my when I started doing stand up, but I didn't really start putting it into my set until I was four years in because I could I didn't I couldn't figure out what was wrong with the joke. But actually, like as I got older and got better with stand doing stand up, I was like, oh, is it's how I'm presenting the joke. I'm not presenting the joke in a way that it's like a, it was, I wasn't, I was being more forceful than and exciting about the joke. So it was, it was little things like that, that you have to learn about comedy. Okay. And when you say learn about comedy, like how do you learn about comedy? Obviously you learned about it by doing it, but like, do you study other comedians, uh, other established comedians, other up and coming comedians? What's your, what's your method? I'm a I'm a big I love comedy so I watch all comedy I look at I look at how people get laughs like there's certain comedians that like Dave Chappelle is really good with words everybody know he's good with words but then you don't but then you have people like uh, Jim Carrey who do face expressions so like I or the way people perform a joke or the way that they uh, enunciate certain words or the fact that like they or the the pattern that they have so like I pay attention to all of that in comedy like i'm when they come down to me like i'm really like super focused into like the porn performance the actual the word choices why do some people use the word vagina over i don't like saying the p word but that like that's <laughs> but, but we know what you mean <laughs> yeah so like it's which word is funnier it's so many things that people don't uh that people take for granted as in a sense of comedy hmm okay so like that's how you write sets and you study comedy and you tighten your sets. So like once you have, once you have something to perform, uh, when you have something to produce, how exactly do you go and put that on a stage? Like where do you go to perform? Well, before Tampa, I, I did four years of just a bunch of bar shows. I would live in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. I would drive to Birmingham, Montgomery, Mobile, Pensacola, Tallahassee, Panama City, and New Orleans. To Man, go find stage all time. The Gulf Coast. Yeah. yeah, that was my first four years of just to try to stage, like find a stage to do perform, to even perform a joke. And then when I moved to Tampa, uh, my number one spot that people can always catch me at is Sidesplitters in Tampa, and I, that's like my home club. So anytime I'm always there working something or some kind of joke. So like it feel good to actually have something that's 15 minutes down the road and not five hours. Mm. And did you? How did you make side splitters your home club? How did that happen? Uh, by force, absolutely. Um, I, when <laughs> okay. I moved here, <laughs> of course, everybody tried to get inside the biggest club in the area, which just happened to be uh, Tampa Improv. But when I got yeah. here, they don't have a good system of um, betting in new comics. Mm -hmm. They 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 don't have a good system for it. So I spent the first two months just trying to get in, and side splitters had an open mic. I go in, do the open mic. As soon as I walked off stage. The GM, the not owner of the club, literally, as I took a step off the stage, he pointed at me and told me to come here. And that was how I got inside Side Splitters. Sounds like a lot of this is relational. Like, you go into comedy because someone gave you the card. You got a home club because the general manager saw some talent in you. Uh, yeah. It seems like a lot of this is due to relationship building. So what kind of industry events did you go to to continue to meet new people, if that's how it works at all? Well, before COVID, the thing was uh, comedy festivals and meeting, doing other, like, once again, continue to stay working on the road. Like, I stayed 
on a normal before COVID, I will always try to my business hit the road. I will email clubs and everything, do open mics, just to network inside to get the places. So that like that would be the number one way. But now because of COVID, social media, uh, networking with other comedians, that would be the only way that you can do it right now. But the number one way is probably comedy festivals. Mm. Oh, one thing that you said, uh, you just said was that when you were on the road, you would just be emailing people trying to get booked and things like that. Is that how you, is that how people typically get booked in comedy? Because I, I really don't know. That's the old school grinding baseline level. Uh, the other thing you can have is somebody bring you in or somebody take you on the road with you. So like you have a, a bigger name comedian that really, really enjoy you. And that really actually work like working with you. He can take you on the road with you as a feature or as an opener or something like that. So like, that's, that's, that's another way to get inside. I just don't have anybody who want to take me. I'm so lonely. So like <laughs> once you get booked, whether it be by someone taking you on the road with them or like emailing a club owner and they say, sure kid, why not? Once you get booked, what are the things that you, uh, that are typically in your contracts? Because for other up and coming comedians, I don't know if that's, if they would know off the bat, like this is what you're looking for. This is a good deal. Uh, this is not. Yeah, uh, yeah. Comedy is a hard, hard world. Uh, the 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 best thing you want at just just by getting like on the road in general is somebody being able to take care of the place you can stay. If they can do that, or they or they can guarantee your money. Those two things are the two main things that you definitely want to have. If you don't have a place to stay, it's gonna be a rough one. It's gonna be a rough one. But then they also comments who just stay in their car. Mm-hmm. So you have to learn to give or take, you know, if you really want to do something, you'll figure out how to do it. Do people typically, uh, and, and when they, you say like, make sure they have somewhere to, for you to stay and make sure they have the money. You're talking about the clubs the, that booked you, right? Yeah. 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 Clubs, club bookers, a lot of things, like a lot of clubs, uh, do have like a, um, they do have a condo or a comedy house. So you don't have to really worry about too much to stay there or it'll doubt they'll rent you a hotel. So like you don't really like the place to stay really too bad, but sometimes that hotel may have like you know you probably been buried off in your car. <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so okay, so in 2020, because I enjoy research here, but in 2020 you performed at the Comedy Zone, Umbrellas, Snappers, and Side Splitters, and some other places. So when you're doing something like that, where you're you're like yeah. touring around the South and things like that. Who exactly is with you on that? Do you have a team? How do you organize that? How do you make sure you get to point A and point B? Like, what's your thought behind? It's all, it's all me. It's all you? I'm, I'm very, yeah. Like, once I know, once it comes to performing, I am was I am 100% down for that. It's the other stuff that I need somebody else to take care of for me. So, like, if you tell me, hey, I need you here in February. I would like, give me the date. All right, cool. I will always know what time I need to leave. If I'm going to like North Carolina, South Carolina, I will leave a day early just to stop at my mama's house to make sure that I, that that drive is shorter than what it is before I leave. Like I will always make the extra step to make sure that I'm going to be there on time. Okay, cool. Um, also in 2020, <laughs> I saw that you headlined your first show. So to headline a show is uh, is that the same booking process as a regular show? And did it feel differently from your previous gigs? Right now, it is different. The first one I did was in Side Splitters. They finally gave me my first one night after being there for like three years. So that was super exciting. And But when I normally work on the road, I always aim to feature. Because uh, to me, well, to me personally, I don't have enough fan base 
to try to sell out a room. But there'll be comp there'll be clubs and places that will actually give me a chance just because they're like, We'll give you a chance. So like those those places I will hundred percent appreciate. So that was the ones I made sure that like they'll get the full thing. And so the approach for it is different because if you're if you're headlining the show, you're the last person they're gonna see. You're the reason why they're there. You're gonna get the majority of the time. I have to make sure it was worth the money. Like it doesn't matter what the host or the feature do, it come down to me at the very end. And I like the opportunity. I like the chance of like them knowing that it they can be a worse show up to this point. So it's up to me to make this better. I like that. One thing that I did see, well, not see, but one thing I did hear you say earlier is that one of the reasons that you didn't necessarily like headlining when you were on the road, like when you're outside of your home club, is because you haven't built up that kind of fan base yet. So what are you doing to build your fan base? How do you market yourself? I need to get better at social media. <laughs> that That's the main reason. That's the main thing. So I have to start figuring out my own way to present myself on social media. Uh, another thing I just started, I just started my own podcast, uh, the Curry Chicken Podcast, with my friend Ricky Hicken, who's also another comedian, and I'm from this area. So we started that. I'm into like writing scripts and stuff like that too. So we're, I'm slowly figuring out everything outside of stand up. I just have to do better with the social media aspect. Okay, and when you're writing these scripts and you like, like you said, learning to do more outside of stand up, uh, why exactly is that? The goal, my ultimate goal is to get to the point where I can write a, write for a show or do something. I don't need to be in front of a camera. <laughs> I just want to be able to write it to the point where I can do the writing for a show of some sort on the side and do my comedy on the weekend and just live. And that would be, that would be a satisfying life for me. Like, I would be ecstatic just to be able to do that. So like, that's why I was like, I need to show people that I can do more than just stand up. I see. So you're just trying to like show off your range of talent and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Um, one thing I do want to ask about though, cause this is how I learned about you and it's pretty good marketing. I just want to know how you, how you did and went about it. So um, in creative loafing's best of the Bay, uh, you were the best. Uh, what was it? Best new comedian, best up and coming comedian. And that was you. So like, how did you go about uh, getting that article written about you? How did you go about becoming the best in the Bay <laughs> for that creative loafing edition? Well, that well, first of all, that was a huge surprise. Um, I didn't even know anything about it until I well, I was at an open mic trying trying out some new jokes when one of my friends, the dude actually won a Temple Bay Best Comedian, Cam Bertrand. He called me and was like, "You know, you won the award tonight." And I was like, "What award?" And he told me what happened. I was like, "Oh snap." A lot of the guys that that do best of the bay, they are they have like the comedians and stuff. So every you just have to like I say, anytime that people saw me perform, my goal was to make sure that you knew who I was once I walked off stage. So every time I perform, I perform with the same energy. I want to make sure we're here for a good time. We're gonna laugh. It doesn't matter who's before me. It doesn't matter who's after me. But right here in this moment, we're gonna enjoy this time. And I just had that. That's been my attitude since I started doing stand up, and it just feel good that somebody else recognized that and decided that I was the best up and coming. When you do a show, do you have like pre-show rituals and post-show rituals to get your head in the game? Uh, pre-show, uh, about two hours, about two hours and 30 minutes before the show, uh, I listen to audio of all my old stand-up, all my old sets, just to make sure I have certain jokes. Uh, I listen to 
every time I perform, I pay attention to like what kind of crowd reaction I have. Uh, and then maybe for the last hour, I'm just listening to R&B music all the way up until the time I walk on stage. Yeah. There's a lot of love songs in my life. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you know, oh. Okay. So that's your pre-show ritual. So when you're on stage, say you have a crowd that's kind of cold. They're not really here for everything you're doing. How do you warm that crowd up? I figured those kind of crowds, you, it's more like I let, I let my personality go a little bit more free then just because I like, I feel like if you're a comedian, somebody told you your whole life, you was funny. You're not doing this because you didn't, nobody, somebody at some point in time in your life told you you was funny. So if you ever come down to the bare minimal, let your personality go. My my, my, my stepdad used to tell me all the time, if you ain't got nothing else to say, just talk about your life. And ever since then, that's just been my feel. Like, so whenever I have cold moments or nobody's feeling it, I just, if it, it is what it is, but at the end of the day, you're going to get my personality and I'll figure out something to get you guys going again. I see that. I can see how that, um, how, yeah. It's a rough one though. It's sometimes you just got to take it. Like this is, this is going to be a great one. Oh, uh, oh, question. Where exactly do you keep your jokes? Like when you let them out, um, do you, do you actually physically write them down? Do you record them? How do you keep track of them? I can't, I can't write. So (laughs) I have a lot of. Yeah, I just can't. Like I said, I'm. It's, it's more like I'm more paranoid of spelling words wrong, and I uh, having bad grammar for words sometimes. So like I have, a, I literally do just strictly audio. It's always audio sound somewhere. Mm, I see. I see. And another question. I'm I'm going all out of order, but they're coming. They're coming to my mind. Uh, oh, you're fine. But um, another question. So clearly, COVID kind of closed down clubs. I mean, I know Tampa Improv is doing some shows because I mean, like DL Houdini was just there. But like comedy clubs were essentially shut down because who's going to be inside sitting all close together for like a couple of hours? So how are you adjusting during this uh, during this COVID time? Uh, there's a few clubs that still open. Like they'll let you in for like you know minimal numbers and stuff like that. I actually have Lucas. Mm-hmm. So like I've always been a very uh distant person from people just because I've been dealing with this for the last eight four years or so. So um, to me, nothing really changed outside of, like the personal boundary thing. Got you. Yeah, but the whole working aspect, you know, what I'm saying I I did I do Zoom shows. I did uh man, I, that's what that's another reason why I started the podcast and everything else. Just in case they do shut back down, I still have a way to get my voice out for people to listen. So those those are the things that you do. You know what I'm saying? You just, you found park shows. You do uh, outdoor shows. I did a parking lot show in July at Raina James Stadium with three other comedians. Sweat, the wettest show I ever did. I had never sweat so much in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but it, that's you do things like that. You get opportunities when they come. And you mentioned, I'm going to get to that Raymond James show, show, so we're going to put a pin in that, but you mentioned that you did Zoom shows. How does that work? How how did you organize that? And, like, what's that like? Being able to, like, doing all the the traveling that I did, I actually met a few people that had, that ran them. So they'll just email you, you do that, and then you're just pretty much talking to a camera. Just, it's, it's almost as if it was having a conversation right now. I, the way I approach them was I will always tell them, book me with a comedian that I know. So that way I can just have a conversation with that one person and just let you guys hear it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So kind of like a so podcast. Just, yeah. Yeah. 
I would just reference that one person though. Like, and when I have jokes where involve me talking to multiple people, I would just say, like, I would just talk to one person. And that Raymond James show you mentioned, how did you guys organize that? Like, what was your, what was getting permits like? What was the process to make all that a reality? They reached out to a uh, size splitters. Oh, I see. And uh, BT, they asked BT that he had a couple uh, talent. And he just, BT said, I got four local talents that would love to do your show. And he gave us, he gave them our number. We talked numbers and then was off to do the show. And do you, do you often do other collaborations with other, with other comedians in the area? I know you have one with Ricky Hicken with your podcast, but. Oh yeah, that's what, that's the only way to do it. Uh, I would much rather work with comedians I know than comedians I don't, but it's only for conversation piece wise. Like it's hard to talk to somebody, especially me. I'm like, I'm a very quiet person off stage. So like, it's hard for me to start like breaking down barriers and walls. Like I have worked with big comedians and never said a word to them just because I was like, I just don't know what to talk to you about. Okay. Have you found that it's easier or harder to write jokes during COVID? Cause I know, I know that a lot of people aren't out, not a lot of chances to have new experiences. So how has your joke writing been affected by the pandemic? It was a, uh, in the beginning, it was terrible. I couldn't write a joke at all. And then uh, I was super depressed. I'm not a, it was, so it was like, it was hard for me to have my uh, JJ go energy at the time. So it was just, I had to take, a, I actually had to take another like two, three months break from comedy just to like get back into like a, a happier foundation that I was. It was rough. Mm, and and now? Oh, we good now. We smiling. Oh, okay. I'm showing, my, I'm showing my gap and all. We are back. This okay. Then has your joke writing process changed at all during the pandemic? Has it shifted in a way that you've noticed? It made me pay attention to the people a little bit more. And I, I was noticing that like when comedians come up and do five, ten minutes of coronavirus jokes, like you could see that they were tired of it. That was also during this time when they was paying attention for the open bay comedy. So I was when I did my coronavirus joke, I wasn't talking about it. I always just made references and other jokes that I know I was already doing. So it was like, I give people a time span of like, this is like, oh, we're going to talk about the coronavirus on this part of the joke, but not the whole joke is going to be about coronavirus. I think I gave people a freedom to get away from the idea of like the thought of it. So it was just easier to listen to me. <laughs> oh, I see. And you mentioned that you noticed that while watching like other people's sets. Do you, do you watch, uh, up-and-coming comedians often like do you often go out to those shows and watch their sets and things not shows but i'm always at open mics i always sit in the corner open mics they think i don't listen because i'm always i always have my headphones in <laughs> but my headphones don't have any sound going through them so i just sit in the corner play my little game and i listen to their jokes and then if i found if i listen to them a few times i'll start watching they set but i'm not watching to be why well, i'm like i'm watching to pay attention like oh how are they presenting it like then i give them little clues like hey step out step out closer to the stage or move the microphone stand and i'm like you should move more with your hand on this joke you should address one person like i'll give them little i'll give them little helps and bits tidbits that i learned over the years and what and what would you say is the most important tip that you've learned over the years uh the moving the microphone stand is one and uh showing confidence on stage then that would be like being able to walk up to the edge of the stage or or being able to like talk to address one person but not let them take control of the crowd or let them take control of the room so it's like a it's like a it's like a intimate dance but you got to lead the way the entire time 
Okay. Um, and what are the best open mic spots in Tampa? Sundays, you have uh, side splitters. Because there's not that many mics right now. So it's Sunday, side splitters. And uh, Wednesday, there's an open mic in uh, Palm Harbor called The Bind. Gurry open mic is ran by Matt Fernandez. Those two are probably the best two mics in the area. There's an open cut ones coming up right now, like uh, John Jacobs, who's uh, John Jacobs, another local talent he has, and uh, Sean Harper. They have three rooms right now. It's on a Monday, Tuesday, and a Wednesday. So I don't know the name of them, though. They just started. So they're slowly getting people into those mics. And when you were doing comedy up in the Panhandle and around the Gulf Coast, how were those clubs at all different from the clubs in Tampa? Was the vibe different? Oh, yeah. Well, they, they didn't have clubs. So it was a bunch of bars. So I would just go to bar. I would go to a bar full of black people. And then the very next night, I'll go to a bar full of bikers. And then the, <laughs> I'll do a room full of all the, I would have to go. I would go to Tallahassee, do a room full of liberal kids. And the next night, go do a room full of conservatives. So like that, just being up there for four years dealing with that, it taught me how to talk to everybody, like how to get my jokes across to everybody. It didn't matter who my favorite, my my ideal crowd is a mixed crowd. Like it's gonna have older people, it's gonna have conservatives, it's gonna have liberals, it's gonna have white people, it's gonna have black people. But at the end of the day, we all gonna walk out like that was a good show. So then the question becomes, how did how did you uh, figure out how to play to different crowds? Like what parts worked for those liberal crowds, conservative crowds, black crowds, white crowds, etc. If if you just if you just be honest, honesty and just address and I don't I'm not necessarily saying the only side I pick is the black side because I'm black. So you have to I have to let you know off real. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but I'm I'm going if I'm going to give you my argument and that's the only side that I know that if you're not pro Black Lives Matter, I may offend you. But I have to, after that, I have to give you like, to me, I like I have to give you my knowledge and my facts, so that way you can't be like, well, I mean, he's he's at least he was funny about it. So it was like, all right, cool. I may not agree with his opinion, but his uh, his ideal, the reason why he felt his way, makes sense and it's hilarious. And then uh, with liberals and conservatives. When it comes to political material, I'm right down the middle because I'm I don't I'm not a political person. I don't I smoke way too much weed to be a political comedian. So <laughs> I don't even know if I'm able to say all this. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I like to go right down the middle. So like when it comes to like politics, I, as much as I'm gonna talk about the right, I'm gonna talk about the left as well. Okay, I remember that you said that uh, it's all you. Are you interested in getting a team, especially if you're going to go on uh, larger projects like a larger tour? Yeah, I would love to have a team. I would love to have, I would, but like I said, I'm not big enough to carry a full team. So um, um, once that once it gets to that point where I can start carrying people with me or have people like my influence can reach down to other people, then yeah, I'm going to take people. There's a couple of young comics right now that I would love to take on the road. I just can't right now. It's just like, it's just too much. It's too much going on right now for me to take them on the road. But once everything has opened up, I will slowly introduce them into the road life. And how will you know it's the right time? Uh, oh, uh, the goal, well, the goal is always slowly to build a team as you go. Like right now, I know I took a couple comments on the road with me before the pandemic, just to show them like how to get out there. And I'll probably, and then the goal is to like constantly be like, "Hey, I got to do this road. I got to do this room in Georgia. You guys, anybody down? Or in Baja Blah? Or I got to do this room in South Carolina. I got to go to Tennessee." And they'll be like, "Hey, I'm bringing you. Come on, come with me." And and 
definitely getting them comfortable with them being on the road. So that was like, hey, that that would be my ultimate goal, just being able to like, take somebody with me every time I go somewhere else. Are there any of them in particular that you really want to play? Like any clubs that are like, yeah, that's on the bucket list for me? Of course, the ones in New York and the one anywhere in New York, anywhere in LA. Like those two will be the, those two. I will, it's not even necessary clubs. There's certain comedians I just want to work with in general. Oh, like who? My my top two is, of course, Dave Chappelle. Yeah. And uh, of course, uh, and Roy Wood Jr. Oh, I like Roy Wood Jr. Roy Wood Jr. is like one of my favorite comedians. So I would love to just work with him. What about him draws you to him? He's uh, He's from Birmingham. So, and he also started, like, we met uh, a couple years ago, and he's from Birmingham. He started doing comedy in the same exact area I was doing comedy at. So, we was talking about classrooms and stuff, and it was just to the point where I was just like, I would much rather, I want to, it's more like, I want to work with him, I want to tour with him so I can pick his brain and study. Got you. Okay. Oh, and we're coming towards the end, but I want to ask this because one good turn deserves another. So I saw you and I saw you as like a really cool up and coming comedian in Tampa. Who do you think are other really cool up and coming comedians in Tampa to watch out for? Okay. So there's three comedians in Tampa that I absolutely love to do. Uh, this matter of fact, I'm going to give you five. Uh, <laughs> okay. Give you five. I'm going to give you five. Female comedians, there's a uh, Katie McCoy, and uh, there's a young female comic who just started. Her name is Kai Saunders. Those two ladies are hilarious. Uh, there's a guy in St. Pete named Jay Legend. He, I, I feel like he's my little brother. This dude is super funny. He's getting really good. He's getting out there. Uh, there's another guy named Matt Carter. I think it's hilarious. He should be getting way more work than he's getting now. And then there's a there's other dude. Of course, Ricky Hickman. That's my partner in crime. He's always gonna be great. That's a, that's an asterisk on him. He's he's with me. But then there's another guy named Farz and Marathi. I feel bad because he gave me all these dudes. But Farz and Marathi, yeah, that's another one right there. He's a he's hilarious. The six people I just named are probably the the next up and coming. I think people should be looking out for. All right. Well, I will gladly be looking for their sets on YouTube after this. Uh, oh yeah. But. JJ, we're coming to the end of the interview. This has been great, but we're coming to the end of the interview. You're clearly up and coming and on your way. You've already been named best up-and-coming comedian in the Bay. You're touring. You're doing all these shows. You have your podcast. You're expanding your talents. So, JJ, I just want to know, how will you know when you made it? When I can stop using my disability check to pay bills. All right. (laughs) Once that happens, I am good. Yeah, sometimes it really is just that simple. Yeah, all right. Well, can you tell the people where they can find you? Uh, You can find me on Facebook on the JJ Curry Comedy page and Instagram, Twitter, and a TikTok. You can just type in I'm just underscore JJ. Uh, Real simple. Or you can just type in JJ Curry because I'm Googleable. Hey, you know what you just did? You just listened to episode 205 of On Their Way Season 2. On Their Way was created, hosted, and edited by me, Jade Madison Scott. The theme was composed by Baggio Alvarado, and the logo was created by Marco Corey. If you like this episode, then you may be delighted to know that there was actually more to this episode. That's right, an extended interview with JJ is available at our Patreon. If you go to WGCProductions.com, go to the header, click Patreon, and subscribe, you can access the extended version of this episode, as well as extended versions of all Season 2 interviews. 
Subscriptions like those help us fund our whole shindig. You can also support us by purchasing our merch from our store, which you can access by going to wgcproductions.com and clicking store in the header. I have the sweatshirts, which I would 10 out of 10 recommend. You can also help support us by following us at IG and Twitter at WithGoodCo and telling your friends about us. Podcasts are better when you have something to talk to them about. All right, I'm out of talking points. Thank you for listening to the episode. I'll catch you next week. And remember to take care of yourself and each other.